analysis on CBDC in particular for the use of general to the general use, uh, we tend to establish the equivalence with cash. Uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who is using a $100 bill today. We don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also, we will have the technology to enforce that. Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I am honored to be joined today by Catherine Austin Fitz to discuss the banking situation, the overlap with all the different conversations we've been ha- we've had and actually spoken with her in the past in regard to the Great Reset, the Going Direct Reset, CBDCs, digital passports, digital IDs, and the interesting situation we find ourselves in. There's a lot of Americans out there and people around the world that are very concerned about where this is going, and no one better to have on today to talk about this discussion than Catherine Austin Fitz. How are you today? Thank you for joining me. Hey, it's great to be back. How are you? I'm coming there soon. I'm, I'm looking, looking forward, forward to it. Yeah, me yeah, too. Like we were saying, we should connect since we're both in Tennessee. It's we're going to meet in person. Yeah, this is no, exactly. a momentous event. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. See, at the, at the uh, Children's Health Defense. Uh, That's right. Fundraise. It'll be fun. But I, I'm really, I'm really glad to have you on today because I think there, there's a lot of people that are rightly concerned about this because there's a lot of unknowns and especially with all the other situations happening uh, that. I would argue at a time where people are kind of seeing through illusions more than at least in my lifetime and are, are very concerned despite the uh, you know, aggressive comments that everything's fine. Don't pay attention from the government and so on. So we, we, we played the uh, Bank of International Settlements to open the show today. Right. And the, the president talking about that basically how CBDs can be controlled by the central financial structure and how they can enforce how you right. can use that money. And right. so from my perspective, I mean, there's a lot of ways people could go into this conversation. I want to talk to you about what you see in regard to, you know, what's going on with the banking collapse at a general point, whether people should be concerned, what they should be doing. But also, as I know, you are a very, you know, very outspoken about what this is really about and what this right. is tied to and whether this is something that just happened or, in my opinion, whether this is at least whether this is being executed to justify a transition or at the very least being used to do so. So right. um, go start wherever you'd like. And I, I actually, okay. what I, I wanted to focus on at some point is the going direct reset and how that was kind of yeah. the impetus, right. For all of right. where we, where we are today. So go right. ahead. So we're watching, we're watching events that are within a framework, which is very engineered and planned. So, um, so at the root of what's going on today is there is, a group of people who are trying to totally centralize control of all financial transactions on the planet, 100% using digital technology. So, so we have one group, and you played Augustine Carstens. He's the general manager of the Bank of International Settlements. And basically what he said is we can create the rules centrally and we can enforce centrally because it's no longer your money, it's our money, and we can set the rules on how you can use our money. And and what he's saying includes, you know, taxation without representation. That's what he's describing. 
Okay. And it's a very rare moment when a central bank is telling you the truth. So, so there's a group of people who are centralizing uh, financial transaction control and ending their desires to end financial transaction freedom. And then there's a group of people, a surprising number of whom of the most effective are in Tennessee, trying to protect financial transaction freedom. And that's the root thing that, that you and I need to understand. What we want, what everybody watching this wants is they want financial transaction freedom. I want to be free to transact with you. And as the song says, ain't nobody's business if I do, right? Okay. It's between you and me. So one of the things, of course, we want to do is preserve cash. The second thing you're watching is we have this fight between the people trying to control and the people who want to pr preserve financial transaction freedom. And I want to point out, with it, without financial transaction freedom, there will be no freedom. Freedom depends on financial transaction freedom. So, so between this dynamic of the people trying to protect freedom, transaction freedom, and the people trying to get control, you also at the top have a whole bunch of people competing for who's going to be, you know, as they shrink the chairs in the game of musical chairs, everybody's fighting for who's going to be where on the chessboard and who's going to control the control, right? So, so we have two battles going on between the decentralized team and the centralizers, and then the centralizers are fighting among themselves. And of course, every effort is being made by the corporate media to turn the rest of us who are trying to fight for transaction freedom to, to do divide and conquer. And so it can be very confusing to watch this if you don't see the gist of the main game. So that's what's going on now. As part of the centralization, we started in August 2019. The central bankers agreed, the G7 central bankers agreed to something called the Going Direct Reset. And that began, they voted in August 2019, and it began in September 2019. And everything that's happened since then is part of this process. Yeah, we have a great, we did a big wrap up on the Going Direct Reset by John Titus, a wonderful piece of work. And then we have a summary up on the website. So if you go to Solaria.com, and just put in going direct reset, you'll pull it up and it explains essentially what they did. But going direct, among other things, refers to the central banks injecting massive amounts of money directly into, you know, traditionally they would interact with the reserve circuit and then the banks would lend money and they would create money or not. This is the Federal Reserve going direct. As a result of sort of what happened in the going direct reset in 2000, the fall of 2019 and then 2020, massive amounts of money was injected into the economy, but it was injected into the economy in a way that would only build out certain sectors. So build out space, build out smart grid, essentially build out the infrastructure for control, mm -hmm. get everybody on an electrical grid. And other areas of the economy were absolutely starved. And we see this dance between um, finance and healthcare. If the, if the central bankers had to do all the centralizing control with money only, they would end up with everybody coming at them with pitchforks. Mm -hmm. And so they hide behind health. And we see this use of the health infrastructure basically to build the train tracks of control. So, for the central banks, for example, to do CBDC, they need a digital ID. Well, you get that because you're trying to make everybody safe, right, with health. So we've had this dance during the going direct reset of using health to justify more central control. But that's essentially what it is. Now, 
if that that if I can ask one quick question about please. well so the the it's important you and I've talked about this more than once actually and I think that for just really quickly if you could encapsulate one that that happened before as you mentioned 2019 so this is pre covid so people think the great reset what we're talking about is an action that took place before the COVID-19 transition. So I'm interested to quickly explain. So, Go ahead. Right. So, so the going, the great reset is just the same thing as the going direct reset. Right. The going direct reset, I explain it from the financial point of view, and it's the plan the bankers voted on. But if you're going to market the reset, especially to young people, you want something that looks great, right? So, so we have the World Economic Forum, which I see as the marketing arm of the going direct reset to make this look like it's cool and groovy and interesting and the future is inevitable. You know, people being chipped is inevitable. So don't worry, it's fashionable. Go, you know, go get into it. So, so there's simply, a, you know, the, going, the, the, the great reset is just, a, you know, what's spewing out of the marketing arm of what is. So, so think of that as the retail sell. Whereas the going direct is the wholesale plan. Interesting. Does that makes sense. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what's so interesting? It, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, and it just makes a lot more sense when you realize, okay, the money guys ha- are engineering the following. Now, you know, they've turned it over to a retail group to sell. You know, sort of the results. Of I think that's going to control. That's going to resonate with average people more. Than, I mean, that's so. It's such an obvious, and because we see this in in advertising and the way this works in everyday right. life, you know. So it's very clear. And I think we're all beginning to see how we've been the, the packaging and the selling of all this. But really, it speaks to foreknowledge. Obviously, that this is a plan that had nothing to do with COVID, <laughs> and it was all executed, right? So and so, go ahead. When I worked in Washington, you know, some covert thing would go down, and everybody would talk about it like it was a spontaneous miracle. And the guys who did it would sit around and say, you know, it took us two years of planning. It cost billions of dollars. It was huge hard work. You know, we're geniuses for pulling it off. They don't appreciate how hard this was. You know, they would literally feel unappreciated and complain that people thought this could all erupt spontaneously, like, you know, daisies coming out of the ground in the spring. You know, but that's how it was sold. <laughs> I find that really interesting. They may not like the attention they get if they were realized for being behind it <laughs> when they want the well, attention. That's, and they go. <laughs> that's sometimes why, you know, you see a TV show like The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think they have those TV shows made just, you know, because it's so they their life and living and dealing with the double binds is so hard. They just want some sympathy, you know? Mm-hmm. Like it, <laughs> it, make, it makes you, like, you know, it's funny you say that. I often point to that about that series specifically, that it was interesting because it play it showed you the other side of the coin, right? The life behind right. it. And you're right. right. It, it makes, it creates sympathy, right? And I think it's, I often think there's a huge overlap to a lot of these, you know, the, the social predictive programming and so on to get us feel, feeling a certain way, but you're absolutely right. And I think right. that, all of this speaks to a, a criminality that is on the surface of the conversation that we just don't point at. And I think so for, for, for average people who are concerned about the banking crisis. So let's bring this like my, so my let, me, let me bring this down to the banking crisis. So the, pen, the, the, the Fed pumps a huge amount of money into the economy in a way. And, and then, you know, then the healthcare guys shut down a significant, you know, one third to a half of all small businesses in the country you know, wrecking havoc with people's loan port. So, so you got two sides of the bubble wrecking havoc with a loan portfolio. At Silicon Valley Bank, you have the biotech and life sciences and, and the tech IPO pipeline that literally sort of explodes in the bubble. And then when the bubble's over, it kind of shuts down. That's one. But the other is, you know, the last statistic I saw, 49% of the small businesses in San Francisco, you know, went under. 
So if you're it's SVB wanting to just small businesses in the in the Silicon Valley area, you know that's that that could be as much as half your loan portfolio, right? So so you know you 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 see a pump and dump, you know you're pumping one and dumping the other, and then and then the bubble dumps as well. So you've got you've got a lot of financial shenanigans going on, and that makes it exceptionally hard for a good bank to manage through now. Here's a very interesting factoid that you don't know. Um, One of the real dangers to financial transaction freedom is more and more of the controls being added to the payment systems behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. So more and more terms and conditions added to different credit card and payment services, you know, like the censorship we saw talked about with the Internet payment systems. But the other thing is the Fed is rolling out a new system, which is expected to be launched this summer called FedNow. And what was interesting is uh, in 1921, they announced prototypes uh, to test and develop FedNow. And they chose 110 banks around the country. Um, there are 12 Fed banks. So the, the one on the West Coast is the San Francisco Fed. Um, the CEO of SVB was on the board of the San Francisco Fed, uh, Fed until they you know, took the bank down. And um, in that district, in the in the California district, they chose five banks, four of which have now been essentially taken down or merged or had a run on them. Huh. So four of them dealing with, you know, death or significant problems, which is a remarkable coincidence. We've been trying to figure it out what's going on um, now. If you look at what happened with SVB, what happened with SVB is something that can, in theory, happen to any bank in the country. So let's just look how a bank operates. A bank takes in deposits, which are short-term to relatively short-term. You may put in a one-year or two-year CD, but they're relatively short-term. And then its money gets reinvested in several places. One is a loan portfolio, and another is an investment portfolio. Now, the banks have been encouraged by the regulators to put their money in investment portfolios, securities. So it's mostly treasury securities and mortgage securities like Freddie Freddie or Fannie, Mm -hmm. but essentially government guaranteed or government full faith and credit backed. Okay, so very conservative credit, according to traditional guidelines. I would say the world is changing, but we won't we won't get into that. When interest rates rise, though, if you buy long bonds, Ryan, you buy long bonds, 20 or 30 year maturities, and then the Fed raises interest rates, the value of those bonds are going to drop. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have two problems. One is to attract new deposits, you're going to have to pay more than you're receiving on those on those treasury bonds. So you're running a negative arbitrage on that part of your portfolio. That's number one. But number two, if for any reason you get a deposit run, then you have to sell and book losses. If you held to maturity, you wouldn't have to book any losses. And that can lower your equity and cause regulator problems because you have to, you're supposed to have a certain amount of, of, of equity. Mm-hmm. The second problem is you put money in the loan portfolio, same problem. You're charging a lower rate of interest because your deposits were paying, you know, zero to a half a percent. You were charging, you know, uh, more than that on your loan portfolio, but suddenly now you've got to pay a lot more to attract deposits and your loan portfolio to the extent that was a fixed rate is locked. So your, your margins are getting squeezed or you're in danger of a negative whatever. If you have the kinds of problems with the Fed shutting down or, or the, you know, the, the federal government shutting down businesses in San Francisco, then you have defaults in your loan portfolio and you have to cover it. 
So in a circumstance where you get a run on deposits, Mm -hmm. suddenly you either have to sell bonds or call in loans. And because of the changes in interest rates, you're going to have to book losses. And that can scare more people into doing a run. And so that's what um, traditionally happens in a classic run. Now, if you look at what happened in SVB, their holding company was publicly traded, which means if you're a short seller, you can sell the stock short. So let's say the stock is trading at 200. Mm -hmm. You can short the stock when the Fed, uh, when the FDIC or where the regulators, I think it was California that grabbed them. When the regulators grabbed SVB, it was trading at over 100. So the stock was still, the holding company was still pretty high, but it had dropped about 100 points, a little bit more that week. The short sellers make, I think they were estimated, I saw one article in Bloomberg, they were estimated at 500 billion. So I'm a short seller and, and short sellers do this. If I can take a short position and then create a run, you know, right. just get people willing to start a run and start the gossip mill encouraging a run. If I can get that run started, then it's a fait accompli. I can make a, a huge amount of money. See, th- so, this, this to me speaks to the, I mean, this is a Ponzi scheme, the way this is played today. And ultimately, I mean, so we have a situation where, you know, we, we, we've talked about JP Morgan, Peter Thiel, and these kind of the, 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 at least the arguments being that there was a beginning of this by them trying to kind of pull people away from this situation, which began sort of the, the, the run, but ultimately that I, I guess my, my real question would be, well, but let, situation, let, let, let me sit back because, you know, no bank, even the best managed bank in the world cannot stand against a panic run. So, you know, the wonderful movie with um, Jimmy Stewart, it's a wonderful life. Mm-hmm. You know, it describes a run where people are concerned and ultimately the run stops because the depositors see the game and say, we're not going to be panicked. You know, this is a good bank. We're not going to be panicked. But remember if I'm borrowing short and lending long, I'm always going to have a systemic risk in my system. Now, why is this important? This is why it's important that people have confidence in the economy and confidence in the institutions. And the problem we're facing is you've got to be brain dead right now to have con- have, have any kind of faith in the banking system, right. not because there aren't there there are thousands of excellent small community banks and credit unions all over the country country. They deserve our support. They're great institutions. But the level of corruption we have seen at the New York Fed and the Federal Reserve and the BIS, you know, I I literally, even though I'm an expert in financial fraud, I never dreamed that the fraud could be as bad as it is today. Now, I will tell you the corruption that emanates from that whole operation is matched by tremendous corruption in local communities because the people who've gone along in this has made money, you know, crime that I've said it all along, crime that pays is crime that stays, Mm, you know? And for example, we have allowed a whole variety of interests, both public and private to bring narcotics, to bring all sorts of dirty games, financial fraud into our communities. And a lot of people have made money on it. A lot of people have supported it, you know, shame on us, but, but, you know, here's the reality. The lack of confidence is not a lack of confidence in thousands of well-managed small banks. It's a lack of confidence in the rule of law. Right. We have the big banks and the, starting with the BIS, but the Fed has been 
a notorious participator is my opinion. It's an opinion. Um, uh, we have the large banks who have engaged in practices for decades now where they deem themselves to be above the law. And the Department of Justice agrees they are above the law and they have allowed them to skate from prosecution again and again. Whereas, you know, if you and I litter, you know, we get a misdemeanor and we're fined. So there is a two-tier system. And to most people, they believe the rule of law is breaking down. And they're right. Mm -hmm. And they're concerned because all financial assets are a function of law. And if there's no law, then everything's worthless than what you can protect with a gun, which is why I live in Tennessee and probably related to why you live in Tennessee. <laughs> right. Well, see, right. this is where I was kind of getting at the, the, the question before is, you know, I, look, I, and I've made this clear on my show and anytime we talk, I'm by, I'm by no means an expert, especially when it comes to, to uh, economics and, and the banking institutions. But for me, and maybe you can help me understand this better. So where I was going with that is, so if we have institutions, at least it seems we're, we're behind the scenes kind of, you know, trying to make this happen. My question would be, one, since we just saw, you know, Yellen's make, basically making it clear that this is about the systemic risk. And we knew this. The point being that why it, banks are incentivized, arguably, to make their problem big enough to where it potentially collapses more than their own their own banking situation. Here, no, if, than, if 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 the if the new if the Fed had not been blowing the kind of bubbles they've been blowing for the last mm -hmm. couple of years in combination with the healthcare games. If we did, if we had an economy that was decentralized, where it made economic sense to decentralize, we would be far more resilient and have a lot less systemic problems. Okay, well, you know, to add to that same point, then bank runs. This is what I was talking about the other day. As I, as I, as it makes sense to me logically, a bank that is not manipulating the situation, fractional reserve banking a bank run shouldn't be a problem and explain for me if that's wrong in my understanding. Right. So the, my, my, the way I understand it is because the, the, the money's if, not if, there. If, well, but if, if you're a bank, if you're a bank now, if you're a bank who just keeps a hundred percent of your money in short, I mean, in theory, you could, you can open a bank and just keep all the money in short term securities that would not drop in interest rates rise. And you could have a hundred percent of the deposits there and you could survive a run. But that's not going to be economically productive. I just published, if you go to Solari, mm -hmm. a wonderful paper by Richard Warner, who is the top academic scholar in the world on banking, in my opinion. And it's called, Should Tennessee Have, a, Why a, a Sovereign Bank Would Be Good for Tennessee. And what it shows is the more small banks you have lending to small business, the stronger and more resilient your economy is. Our economy is not protected, and, and we're not protected from bank runs by having you know, the world's most capitalized banks, although we want good capitalization, mm -hmm. we're protected by having a healthy economy that makes economic sense, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you're not going to have a healthy economy in Tennessee unless you have healthy small banks and credit unions. And I would argue the more credit unions and the more healthy banks, community banks you have in Tennessee, the healthier and the stronger Tennessee's economy is going to be and the more freedom will be protected in Tennessee. Yeah. So so you want a ton of banks and you don't want them just being 100 percent protected from taking a run. You want them loaning to small business. So you don't mind them having deposits, you know, that translate into a longer maturity loan portfolio or investment portfolio. Yeah. So so but but 
you know, you can do that without having a debt-based monetary system, mm-hmm. which is constantly being engineered to pump and dump and supports this level of speculation. Now, the challenge, let's say I made you Federal Reserve chairman tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? Your challenge is you're playing a, a global game, which has brought a tremendous amount of subsidy. And a lot of these machinations at the federal level you're doing to do a variety of things on the global level and it's whacking around the domestic Mm -hmm. so getting out of the trap is not as easy as it sounds but i assure you in theory you could take over the current dollar system and run it well and responsibly throughout history the best currencies are not commodity currencies they're fiat currencies in a in a system that has excellent governance what we we don't have a financial problem we have a governance problem and Mm -hmm. and i'll bring it down to you know because i'm going to finally get to meet you in person at children's at the children's health defense event you cannot build a strong economy if you poison your children Mm -hmm. right okay and you poison your people and you put them in debt slavery and then you chip them and you know inflict taxation without representation okay Nobody built a great civilization by poisoning children and giving them a rotten education and putting them in a debt trap. That is the end of the future. Mm -hmm. That is the debasement of the economy, of the culture, and ultimately require, you know, you can print your money out of a lot of bad practices, but ultimately you can't print your money out of all bad practices. And that is why we have serious inflation. There is no amount of productivity You know, all you can do is offset the hyperinflation with depopulation or other forms of deflation. Right. And I mean, and I'm completely in agreement and all of it. But I I guess what I what I wonder is so essentially what you're saying is the system. Obviously, there's dishonesty. There's corruption. We can see that on the surface of this. But on the other side of it, to to the to like just from my understanding, it doesn't seem to make sense to me that. If at one point people in a large enough amount decided to go and try to take their money out, even with an honest, normally run bank, that that sh- sh- doesn't sound like that should create a problem unless there's something fishy going on. And maybe that's just my no, misunderstanding. It, it only of the creates a problem if everybody takes it out at the same time. I mean, right. if you run the whole thing with short term securities, which you can do and charge high enough fees, that would work. You mm-hmm. know, now it's going to slow the economy way down, but it would work as a bank. Um, but that's it not be as profitable, essentially. It wouldn't be anywhere near as good for the local economy. That's okay, not okay. We, we don't want that. You know, this is you know, I love gold and silver, but this is why I'm not as enthusiastic about gold and silver as some people. If we take all our money and buy something and put it in the vault, and it sits there and does nothing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're not going to have an economy. The only if everybody's a you know, running a custodian and guarding your gold and silver and nobody's making anything or doing anything. Mm. And the way you build a great economy is you invent the steam engine or you invent cars or you, you know, you build a better, you know, binocular. You, you do something useful that really helps people improve their lives. And, you know, a great, a great enterprise, two plus two does equal eight. In a great enterprise, you know, um, I'm thinking of my favorite companies. One of my favorite companies has like an 80% market share globally of bicycle gears. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Do you know how good you have to be to command that share 
globally of the bicycle gear market. Now, a lot of people don't get excited about bicycle gears, but when you see what they've accomplished, you know, decade after decade of continuous learning and improvement and building, I love bicycles. So, you know, of course <laughs> I'm here in the Netherlands and everybody has a bicycle, right. but, um, you know, but that adds tremendous value out of economy. Whereas putting our money and just putting it in a vault or buying gold and silver, and just putting it in a vault, that creates nothing. That doesn't create jobs. That doesn't create activity. That doesn't. So we're, we're kind of talking about a difference between personal security and personal, you know, growth as versus the economic sec- growth and security. And so I guess with the. Right. But here, here's what I get back because everything you need to understand about the current banking crisis, your grandmother taught you. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, if you're lucky and had as good a grandmother as I have, which you probably did. And, and, because I, I'm just trying to bring it back to people. Mm-hmm. Okay. All financial wealth comes from life. It comes from people who get up in the morning and, and they do something useful. You know, they cook somebody breakfast at Cracker Barrel or they, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so this is about people and people being productive. And the problem is we have built an economy that's so dependent on organized crime and war and speculation and and we've had so much secrecy and we tried to get out of the problems by printing more money and handing it out and printing more money and handing it out and printing more money and handing it out. And that all worked economically as long as you could run around the world using your weapons, stealing everybody else's stuff. Right. 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 But when you lose the ability to do that, you can't keep the game going. And then it's like mm-hmm. a game of musical chairs. OK, we're going to start pulling chairs. Who's going to be the losers? Who's going to be the winner? And and when enough chairs get pulled, everybody says, you know, I don't trust anybody anyone anymore because there's no rule of laws and those guys ha- don't have to obey the law. And I do. And so, you know, and so one reaction is, oh, I'm going to go bank at the criminal banks because they they'll protect themselves. Hmm. So as long, you know, which makes it worse. Because right. Then every, you know, then the money all runs to the criminals and there you go. So all of this is clearly indicative of a shifting, you know, I mean, whether we're talking global power in general or just even, you know, specific to the local banking situation, like we can see a, a, a declining power structure. And so ultimately, right. and this it's is a declining this power structure, but it's a power structure that is scared. Right, exactly. And so, so what, the question my question is, would be, go ahead. If, they can't, if they can't buy you with the subsidy they get from the global game anymore, mm-hmm. if they're losing the ability to deliver that subsidy, and they've made extraordinary promises to you and me that they can't keep. How are they going to deal with that? Well, the going direct reset is, oh, well, it's no problem. We get 100% digital transaction control and we simply control them. We, we right. put them all in digital concentration camps, you know, 15 minute cities, an electric car, and they either do what we, you know, we're just going to take all their assets. Right. You know? So we're not going to deliver our promises. We're going to cut their lifestyle dramatically and we're going to make them do what we say, or we're going to shut off their money. You know, and we will control them. This, and this is why I love your work on this because you're, you're, you don't pull any punches on this point. A lot of people are afraid to even connect this stuff. And I think it's, it's plate, it's blatantly obvious. This is, I think what's happening here, like I said, in the beginning, whether executed or just taken advantage of is all about that transition. But, but so before- I'm just going to be ruthless. Go for it. The greatest, most profitable business in the history of the world is slavery. You know, more than mining, more than anything else, slavery. That's what this is about. 
digital technology solves all the bad problems they had with slavery the last time. Hmm. All those problems you can now solve with digital technology. You can perfect your collateral. If I can implant a chip in you, and if you watch that video I have up on my website of Richard Warner explaining, the central bankers told him, you know, they want to put a chip in you. Right. If I can put a chip in you, then I can collateralize you. I can perfect my collateral as a banker. And now we're off to the races. I can build a slavery system. And with robotics, AI, and automation, I can manage it. No problem is what they think. Now, right. I don't agree with them, but they think they've got it. Now, we've lived in a world where we thought of ourselves as free. And we had tremendous movement of travel and tremendous movement of transaction freedom. We cannot conceive of a leadership that would literally say, no, we're going to convert them into slaves and we're going to have a social credit system. And if, you know, they don't, if they behave, we cut off their food, we cut off their money, we cut off everything. Right. You know, it's inconceivable to people that that could really be happening in the Western world. Now, it's, uh, I assure you, not only one, is it happening, but two, it does, it's not necessary. There is a way out of this that and it will require great change. I first proposed we do it in 1996. It would have been a little kinder, gentler then. But there is a way out of this where we can increase our productivity massively because tyranny and lawlessness is very expensive. Hmm. And the organized crime tax that we're paying is enormous. And the inflation is coming from the fact that every time you destroy something with organized crime, you cover it over by printing more paper hmm. and, and the tax just keeps coming back around to all of us. But if, if we do what is necessary, county by county, state by state to turn this around, the wealth creation potential is fantastic. It's unbelievable, but it means as if civilization, we're going to have to grow up. Right. Exactly. Right. Self-responsibility. I mean, you know, but before right. we go into where I think this is going and, you know, flesh out the, the other parts of the social credit and so on right now with like the, just the SVB situation and, and the what's happened since then to the average person, do you feel that there is actually the average person should be concerned about the banking system or so, is there actually just this? So I thought there was the, the average person should be concerned about the banking system in 1998, 99, 2000. So here's what you need to do. Okay. You deserve and you need a good bank. Okay. And I have an article up on Solari, how to find a good local bank. You can do a search and pick it up, but here's what you want to do. And, and here's how to, um, I also have an article up called 10 questions to ask your bank, but let's just run through that very quickly. Okay. Hopefully you have a good local bank who doesn't have a strong track record of criminal behavior. Okay. If, if you're in the banks who, who ripped us off on the financial crisis, I don't know what to tell you. If you want to back with criminals, it's up to you, but I'm, I wouldn't be comfortable. Okay. So, so one, find a good local bank or credit union. Number one criteria is, are they well-managed? Are they well-governed? Who owns, who manages, who's on the board? That's what you need to know. Mm -hmm. So, so the first is what are the quality of the people and their experience and expertise? That's number one. But number two, you should look at their deposit base. Do they have a steady deposit base or is their deposit base uh, I would say not particularly loyal is it quick to come quick to go so so that's one what is and and you can one thing you can look at is the growth but you want to look at what percentage was insured versus uninsured so Silicon Valley Bank had an extraordinarily low uninsured I think six percent 
very, very low of insured deposits, which made them susceptible to a run, which, you know, could easily happen given how much a short seller could, could make, you know, their stock had run up a lot. So that's number one. The second is how long, what's the average maturity of their investment portfolio? And do they have big unrealized losses in their investment portfolio? How are they managing it? Um, uh, the third thing is, what is their loan portfolio? Does their loan portfolio uh, uh, relate to sensible loans in the community? You know, a, mm -hmm. a good conservatively managed bank, um, and a lot of the banks in Tennessee are pretty conservative. Um, a good conservative bank in Tennessee is going to have a very sound loan portfolio. And yes, when the economy slows, they may get, you know, you, you may get some loans default, but, but generally it's going to be sound. Um, so you want to look at the deposit base, you want to look at the loan base, you want to look at the investment portfolio, and then you want to make sure that in the investment portfolio or in their accounts, they have enough short-term investments and cash to be able to handle the, the you know, yeah. uh, it's like a train. People get on and off and, and you want them to have enough liquidity so they can handle the ups and downs if people do, you know, do get spooked. And anyway. right there, really quickly, right there, that's where these other banks would kind of play it fast and loose, at least one part, right? To where they more, they, there's no, there's less liquidity than necessary. And so it takes like more, it takes a shorter amount of people to go to create a bank run. Is that incorrect? Is that fair to say with what the way they're operating today? So, so my guess, if you guess what I think was going on behind the scenes, I don't think, I, th I don't think that was a run. That was a takedown. Okay. Please, oh, and, look, go ahead and, and back to your point. I don't want you to forget. There, you yeah, there were a couple of reasons why somebody might have wanted to take down that bank, but it was a takedown. If you're, if the New York Fed decide banks decide to take you down, you know that's hard to withstand, and and it's one of the reasons bankers are loath to say anything critical of the New York Fed member banks because mm -hmm. they don't want to, you know, they don't want to deal with that. Um, and here, you know, if you had a community that was willing to stand up to that kind of whisper campaign then they couldn't take them out. I mean, that would be a magical day in America when enough communities were savvy and smart enough to know not to be spooked by those guys and their tactics. Uh, I would be, that would be a, I don't know, that would be good enough to make me cry. And I don't, I'm not very sentimental. <laughs> well, hopefully we can get there. But, sorry, sorry to interject. Please get back to your point. I don't want you to forget, but I, I, I that's, that was more of a learning moment so, for me. Like, so, I'm trying to understand this. Go ahead. So I, I got a, a great story from one of our listeners. Um, so, and it was somebody in Tennessee. Uh, you know, we have these template letters that we make of how to talk to your bank about CBDCs or some of these other risks you're worried about. Mm -hmm. So we encourage people, just go talk to your bank. You know, I want you to have not only a great bank, but I want you to know bankers at your bank who know you and you have right. a relationship and you, you know, uh, having a, having a successful relationship with your banker, somebody you can count on is a wonderful thing. And bankers, the, the great bankers, both community bankers and credit union executives, and I, in that I include savings banks and all the other institutions, these people have a wealth of literacy about the community and the local economy. They're wonder, I think they're wonderful people. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I, I'm encouraging everybody to go talk to your bank. So I get this message and, and the person says, I was so afraid to do this, you know, because I feel... You know, I don't understand the words and I don't understand banks, but I did. I went into, uh, it was a credit union in Nashville. I went in and I talked to the, I asked my question to the people on the floor. They couldn't answer. And finally, one thing leads to another and they send them to the 
office annex and she spends 45 minutes with the chief financial officer talking about what's going on in the banking crisis and how they're handling it and what they do and how they do it. And, you know, said, God, that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. That was wonderful. So if you are concerned about your bank, go talk to your bank. And if they're doing a good job, they will answer your questions with confidence. Self-responsibility, right? What, it's funny, right. you list off all the, the things about the, 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 what you should be looking into to try to decide whether these local banks are what you should be in, you know, investing with or, or working with. And it's everything you listed off are things I, I, I argue most people, American otherwise, have never done before. And it, so it's just really we are lulled to sleep in this system by t- with the tr- you know, being convinced we should trust the system. And that's well, it's just, there's we, never we a time when that's the right thing right. to do, in my opinion. We put money in a bank and we just don't even worry because it's right. insured. And blah, 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 blah. Those days are over. Okay. Were they we, ever really there, though? Right. I mean, I, I feel like this was always teetering based on the way okay. it was set up. We destroyed our country with what's called federal credit. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, in the old days, if you had a bank and mortgages weren't insured by the feds, you know, if a, if somebody defaulted on the mortgage, the bank could lose money. But when you when you add the FHA and federal credit, then you know you can uh, a bank can originate tons of mortgages in the neighborhood, put them into Freddie, Fannie, Ginny, and if drugs come in and default all the mortgages, they don't lose money. They don't have to care. Okay, it, by by trying to guarantee safety, you know we have destroyed responsibility and accountability right. in our, not just in our economy, but in our culture. And right. again, you, you can guarantee with the federal credit every, all that you want, but let me tell you something. If you poison our children with bad food and bad education and bad phar- pharmaceuticals, you know, guess what? There is no future. I don't right. care how much federal credit you use to ensure everything. You know, while you're sitting there thinking you're safe, the whole future is going to die. Right, right. So it sounds like you're, I mean, you could argue this was about safety. I, I'm more of a pessimist and would think maybe that was the, the, the narrative and it was more about opening the system to, to lead to where we are today. I, I brings to mind a great Ron Paul uh, congressional uh, back and forth with one of these financial experts where he's talking, and this is what it sounds like we're getting at, is that these the system at one point was that these banks failed. Well, they failed. And they're responsible. They could try to get loans from other banks, but ultimately it falls to their. And yes, the creditors might, you know, lose because of that. But that's a self-responsibility. You should do your research on the individual banks and so on. But the moment it became a federal protection kind of thing, well, now it falls to us. And I think, you know, this this seems like a scam to me, whether or not it was ultimately envisioned to save us or not. It feels like it was inherent corruption. And here's what's happening. We, We had we had a takedown at SVB. There's a game going on and you which know, means can, deliberate, by the way. So you're implying that was a deliberate action. I, I believe I believe it was a takedown, not a traditional bank run. I agree. I agree. Okay. That's very interesting. But but what it turned into was uh, an effort by a variety of players to panic everyone into believing they had to. You know, that this was going to turn into a wider contagion run. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do look at the numbers on the banking system, if interest rates continue to stay high for a long period of time and a lot of banks have to run a negative arbitrage, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, that is a problem. So you're going to have banks that get into trouble and end up going out of business in that situation. That is true. Um, but it's not necessarily true that 
that interest rates are going to stay up for a long, long I mean, they could, we don't know. But um, so, so if, if you look at all the people trying to panic and you look at that section of them, which I would describe as legitimate, the panic is not that the banking system is going to collapse. The panic is that without the rule of law and doing things that destroy the population's productivity consistently, regularly, the economy is going to, the civilization is going to collapse because it deserves to collapse. Right? Yeah. Right. So let's get down to the root of the problem. The banking system, you know, my concern is as follows. We use the pandemic to, to go to complete control. You got to kill the small guys. You got to kill the small farms. You got to call this, kill the small businesses and you got to kill the small banks. So we use the healthcare game to shut down the small businesses and the farms, not because they're less productive, but because the guys running the game could pick up huge market share and make a fortune stealing, you know, their businesses and picking up their assets cheap. It's hmm. it's a you know, you you pump money into your pals and then you shut down your enemies and then your pals can go pick your enemies up for cheap. OK, right. so we shut down the small farms and small business, grossly oversimplified. And now we're ready to shut down the small banks. Now, if if you're the top guys and you want to play this game, who better to shut down the small banks than panic on all the small bank depositors and scaring them and getting them to walk their deposits across the street to the criminals? Interesting. Right. That's so fascinating. So what I'm watching is a game where they're trying to talk you out of committing financial suicide and helping them institute complete financial transaction. So I don't want to, you know, so this now, see, I, I've been thinking about the way you talk about this as a financial coup and the way you just said it that is right a there, financial coup. I agree. But the way right. you just said it right there really just solidified this. See, here's what's interesting. When I was covering this up, you know, I was, uh, since it started, I wasn't telling people to go take their money out of the bank, but I argued, you know, I don't have faith in the system. And I would argue from my perspective, if you think it's smart, don't be afraid to trigger some run if you think that's right for you. But what's right. interesting is it almost seems like that's what they wanted from us. The way you explain this right. to go take it to, because most people won't right. take it, put it in a safe. They're going to be right. Take it to right. one of the bigger banks. They're going to take it to the guys who started the run. Yes. Yes. Right. Think, think of a, a, a starting a bank when the big guys started bank run, what they're trying to do is get all their neighbor's cattle, you know, to stampede into their corral. Hmm. Right? right. Yeah. Okay. That's very, it's yeah. So, so I, I never bank with my enemy ever. Which is smart. I mean, I see, I'm, I'm literally at a point today where I don't think I'm going to, I don't want to be involved with the banking system at all, but of course that's necessity with the way oh, the world I is built be, today. I want to be involved with the banking system. Absolutely. I want to be involved. I have a great bank. I love my bank. So, you know, and you can have that too. You can have a bank where you are known and they know you and they, you know, and trust and it's a really, and it's, it's a very important part of our lives uh, to me because the bank is for, for transacting for business or personal. What I want is I want, you know, in, in this environment, I tell people, you don't need an investment strategy. You need a war strategy. Right. Okay. And what I want is to be resilient. Okay. So I want a, a great bank or I want two great banks so that if one bank gets in trouble, I can move quickly to my other great bank. But I want to have a relationship. I want to have a great CPA. I want to have money here, here, here. If I told you how many places I had money squirrel to run, you wouldn't believe me. <laughs> but but I, you know, I did a, a financial rebellion episode, episode 31 last year called Where to Stash Your Cash. And 
2022. And I think we went through over 30 places. You can, you know, I am one of those people who believes in having lots of toilet paper. It's the poor man's treasury bill is what we call it. So (laughs) so, no, really, you know, because if you can, if you can, if you have the space, not everybody does, but if you have the space to stockpile non-perishables mm-hmm. in a world with this level of inflation, it's a great investment because there's yeah. no tax, you know? So if I can stockpile office supplies and buy 10 years forward, cause I have the space and the price doubles during that period and there's no taxes on my gain, what's not to love about that? Right. Right. What's funny is that's exactly why they frame any kind of prepping like that irrational and ridiculous when, because it's the smartest thing you could possibly do today. We saw that with COVID-19 and plenty of other illusions. Right. Here's the thing, Ryan, when there's no law, everything is risky. Mm-hmm. Everything, everything has risk. So I tell people, look, you know, you, you, you put your money in a very decentralized and diversified ways around the chessboard. You don't finance your enemy. You finance your friends. Because your friends are going to be there for you when the you know what hits the you know what, and and you display you know you and what you hope in a war is some of the players make it through. Not everything is going to make, but you have to know what you own and why you own it. And you know, so so I when I was an investment advisor, and I'm not any longer, but when I was an investment advisor, I would spend a lot of time talking to people before I would let them or encourage them to buy gold and silver. I said you got to know why you own this. If you buy a core position in gold and silver, it is a protection against the worst case and it is central bank insurance and, and you're going to buy it and you're going to hold it. And you're going to think of your position in ounces, not dollars, because the pump and dump is going to make the dollar, you know, the prices go like this. This position is not to get you a short-term gain, right? This position, because we may buy it may fly up 20%, but it could go down 20%. So, you know, it's a safety net. It's a safety net, but you value your position in ounces. Measure your your wealth in ounces and acres, and you know, yes. and in real assets. And then watch the dollar price go up and down, and arbitrage them to your advantage. But don't get suckered by it. Yeah, you know, there's nothing worse than seeing somebody buy gold at one price. It goes down ten percent. They freaking sell it. Horrible. Yeah. Yeah, right. it's not, that's that's you know I, I agree completely. Market or gold and silver is not something, in my opinion, to play the market with. It's it's something to because I mean I think we've proven over the years how clearly it's ar- it's arbitrary and manipulated. The prices themselves in the banking industry have played Everything. that game for Everything. such a long time. Everything the the post office is manipulated. I mean, you know we're we're dealing in a high friction system. Unfortunately, there are no market. Everything's an intervention. It's not a market. Man. So that's the one of the reasons I stopped being an investment advisor is, you know, it, everything's politics and the prices, you know, and, and trying to encourage people to to look at what's real, know what they own, why they own it and not get panicked. I was spending all my time trying to stop people from from being panicked by the propaganda. Yeah. All right. I'm sure that's an impossible feat. Let, let's bring this into the, the last. So it's interesting. We're talking about what small banks and, and banking systems that you can you know, trust or, or try to. Now, that what happens when the inevitable shift, which is coming, in my opinion, happens? The shift to CBDCs. We already see the social credit, digital ID. It's already being implemented. CBDCs are in some form or another in most governments. So wh- what does that change for somebody? So they find a good local bank they like. Oh. 
And suddenly right. that shift so, is taking place. So I think the question for you is how are you going to stop it? Yeah, that too. And and every one of us has got to stop it. Because I'm telling you, life in that world is not going to be, that's not a life I'm going to live. I think that's what all this is about. I think that right. this is literally right. one focal point, in my opinion. And I think that your right. work makes that clear. Right. This is this is not a world I'm going to go into. And people say, oh, well, I don't mind if they take my asses. Really? Do you mind if they take your children? Really? Do you, do you mind if they dictate policies for your health and your kids' health that are, you know, could kill you? I mean, really? No. Do you want to eat bugs? If you, if you look at what they're planning... I mean, this, it's hard to tell whether this is just a slavery system or a serious depopulation system. Right. Uh, I, you know, I can't tell you, but, but it's so, you know, they literally want to wipe out the sexes. They want to control what genes can come into the world. I mean, they do want to see babies in incubators. It's, it's that weird. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, you, you can't, you've got to say no to this. And I, I don't, there's no way, you know, there's no way around. It's not like you can go out into the woods and, and build a homestead and avoid the problem. It's going to come to your doorstep one way or another eventually. Exactly. Well, right. so so, the, go ahead. Well, if you look at who's pushing back, I mean, all across the world, the pushback is incredible. Now, mm-hmm. you don't see it on the corporate media. If you know how to get it on the Internet, you can get it. But. The pushback is incredible. People are fed up. They've had it and they're pushing back. And I don't think their system is going to work. So I said before, it's because we have three opportunities. I mean, there are three options. If you're the, if you're Mr. Global running the show, mm-hmm. you can either go to a new model that uh, dramatically improves productivity with new technology and is much more decentralized. So you can go, let's call it meritocracy, or you can depopulate. Or you can go to complete financial repression. That's what, you know, we're talking about with complete control of financial transactions. Those are your three choices and you can mix them up, you know, doing different things in different places. But those are your three choices. And as far as I'm concerned, there's only one I'm prepared to live in. Exactly. And I hate to be the pessimist, but, you know, I'm very jaded with all this. I think their past actions, even with the just this last series of psyops, in my opinion, they've made it quite clear that they don't really care one way or another about our interests, our well-being. It's all means to an end, an agenda. And I think that if the, the options are on the table, the greater good argument gets thrown over everything where, well, we need to make sure the rest of the population is secure so therefore they can rationalize no, you know something, the greater good is just a huge amount of BS. I completely agree. Yeah. That's my point, right. is that I think that right. they'll always lay that over the whole thing and then argue immoral choices, you know, and some people actually buy it. The feeble-minded people out there in the corporate media, they're just wandering into all this. They'll buy it. But Well, I, I don't I don't think it's feeble-minded. I, I think there are many reasons why people buy it. One mm-hmm. is if you look at the entrainment subliminal programming that's on all of this technology, it's serious and bad. We have a... If you come to Solaire, we have a collection of uh, the best links we've found so far on the kind of high tech. I mean, this is this is high tech neurological weaponry. Right. This is military grade neurological weaponry. So I find people are tricked. The other thing I find is um, if you've been educated to sort of understand your pond, but not the ocean, understanding this can be completely overwhelming and and depressing. But the thing I want to encourage everybody to do to understand is 
Facing it, I used to have a password say, if we can face it, God can fix it. Facing it is the doorway that you walk through and the grief you experience to get to the other side and realize, oh, there are real solutions. Because mm -hmm. in the official narrative, there are no real solutions. But if you face reality, there are real solutions. And I'll tell you the other thing there is. You know, however long we're blessed to live on this beautiful planet, you might as well hang out with great people. And I have to tell you, the people who are for freedom, I'm looking at one, they're so great to hang out with. So, you know, maybe we maybe we make it through or maybe we don't. But in the meantime, trust me, you want to hang out with the freedom people. <laughs> it's I, the only I way agree. to live. The other, the other thing is you're sliding into a place that is not worth living with people. I don't know. You know, I'm yeah. a bit of a snob. <laughs> Uh, well, you, I mean, it's funny that you could say it that way. I don't see it that way. I mean, I think at this point it's, you know, you, you choose, you choose your friends wisely and where you know, I mean, why you would want to associate with somebody who thinks that it's okay to forcefully insert their ideology into your, like the idea that you're supposed to do like with the pronoun conversation or all this stuff, the idea that they're telling you, you have to think a certain way. Those people don't, don't that's friends don't do that. I mean, friends don't force their ideology on somebody else. I think we, you're right. I think we need to align ourselves with people that care about these intrinsic concepts of freedom and, right. and where, right. the, what we believe this country is about, or even from a worldwide perspective, what we believe the human, you know, human rights, what we have a right to, you know? And so right. I, I definitely but I would say to all those people who feel very strong ideology, you know, you're welcome to try our way. You know, we, because I, th I think we can convert a lot of people, particularly if we're having more fun. Yeah, good point. I, it yeah. looks to me like we're having more fun. <laughs> so. It's funny you say that with the with the COVID nineteen illusion overlap and how all the you know it's even the the kind of mea culpas that are starting and and realizing these are the people that were shouting you down as the crazy one and that you were scared and meanwhile we're out in the sun we're having a nice day and they're in their corner right. with their mask and the, you know and I think well, but I I feel terrible for what's happened to them I do too it's horrifying it's horrible it's horrible well, that, that's why I want I, I I argue people shouldn't it it's we need to realize that a lot of people were scared manipulated right psychologically you know and so it's yes we should you know don't forget what happened i think a lot of people kind of exposed to their real what the real nature was in all of this but we, you know a lot of people just got played and we got to remember that right. and hold the people accountable right. at the top you know right because i you know the hardest thing i've ever had to do in my life was when i was in the going into the litigation and basically had gotten thrown out of the establishment i had to look into the mirror and say i'm the patsy hmm. it was the hardest thing it was harder than uh, facing death. It's like I got rolled big time. You see, that's why people respect you so much, Catherine, is that you have the ability to do that. And I think that, that I mean, politics, you know, I you only did it because if I didn't, I was not going to make it. It was a matter of life and death to look in the mirror and say that. But otherwise, I would have done a pretty good job of denying it and avoiding it. <laughs> I have to admit. It's just one thing we don't hear these days in politics or media, you know, I don't know, or I was wrong. We just never hear those things, you know, so it's just commendable that, that that's, you know, where you're coming from. But I, right. I definitely think that it comes down to people who just care about integrity and being honest and that that is more important than the agenda or the greater good or whatever we're talking about. And I think right. that's this overlay to everything. And the people in charge leaders, if you want to call them that, are very clearly guiding this in a direction that's for some arbitrary agenda that has nothing to do with what's in the best interest of the people. Right. That's very clear. So right. if you, last thing we can leave us with today as we kind of wrap up is, you know, what, what should the average person be doing right now to try to circumvent and stop the, the transition, whether it is digital ID or CBDCs, other than the banking right. 
discussion. So the first thing you should know is there's a tremendous amount you can do and you can do it in a, go a way that's good for you because your precious commodity is your time. Mm -hmm. If you go into solari.com and just do a search for, I want to stop CBDCs, what can I do? I would print out that list. It's a long list of things you could do. And then I would say, okay, what are the one and two things on this list I could do? You know, let's say I'm going to give an hour or two a week to doing what I can do. So you, you say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to turn this off and I'm going to spend that two hours every week doing this and pick out the ones that you can do and you're comfortable doing and just understand every, if everybody does this and makes a huge difference, one thing we can do, of course, is use cash. Right. Um, and another thing we can do is to find a great law. If you don't have a great local bank, the, the, the subscriber I was talking, or the audience I was talking about, that guy who talked to, or that woman who talked to a credit union has a great local credit union, but, you know, get yourself a great local bank or credit union. That's number one. That's well-managed and well-governed. You don't want anybody you want well-managed, well-governed. Start using cash. And as you use cash, talk to the small businesses that you frequent, small restaurants, small farms, you know, and, and, and talk to them about how can we, you know, how can we work together as customer and business to improve our endurance and resiliency and well-being in this. And there are thousands. We just had a great um, Solera report and financial rebellion show with Michael Schumann on local investing. And that would be a great interview for you. Um, because he spent years kind of figuring out local investing. And that's part of this because we're going to, the way we're going to make our communities healthy and wonderful is with transact, you know, transactions are going to be a part of it. Um, the other thing that I really stress, and you would think this wasn't directly related to freedom, financial transaction freedom, but it is, and that is local food. Mm. So anything you can do to connect with the, you know, uh, there are different ways to do it, whether it's the local grocery stores that buy from the local farmers or buy direct from the farmers, the farmer's market. Plug into the fresh food because I'm telling you, and this is the quote I'm always using these days, <laughs> don't finance your local farmers, uh, you know, because you, you know, you're a good guy. Finance your local farmers because you don't want to eat bugs. <laughs> right? Right, right. Right. So anything you can do to build out the local food markets so that we can't get cornered and, and be dependent on our enemy for food, it's going to make a big difference to freedom. So uh, anyway, but take a look at that list. There, there are scores of great ideas. Do the ones that are comfortable for you. Mm -hmm. Great local fresh food and a great bank is going to be great for your family. So make the effort to do it. Absolutely. I mean, the prepping, the idea of just the self, you know, being reliant yep. on yourself, like you've talked about prepping in the garage, having stocks, water, food. I mean, this is just common sense. It's you know, really funny. You know, I told you about David, the guy who runs Shelbyville now. Mm -hmm. He sent me a picture. His sister has a growing system in her apartment and he right. showed me how much she's growing. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Now, if you can grow 10, 20 percent of the food, your own food, just sitting on the balcony in your apartment. You don't need a lot of space. That's, you know, that adds up. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, more, yeah, I mean, ju not just the financial side of it's very valuable, but more than that, it's just security. It's fun. It's all well, that fun. too. Yeah. And, and these are skills that we need to know. That's one of the most alarming things to me is how little the average person really knows about basic skills today. Right. You know, and they, they, so all of this said, yeah, absolutely. I think we need to become more self-reliant and, and, you know, all that'll be yeah. included, all the information you have. And I think your okay. work is really opening people's minds to 
the bigger picture. This is not just about a, a banking collapse or the system being faulty, but rather an execution of something much larger. I, I would say the banking, the banks being collapsed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, yeah, just I hope people will check out your work and, and look further okay. because I, okay, I'm very well. concerned about where this continues to grow. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing you soon in in, uh, in Nashville. We're so. going to meet in person. This is going to be <laughs> Tennessee will never be the same. It won't change <laughs> forever. Well, thank you, Catherine. I always enjoy thank talking you. with you. Any, anything else you want to leave us with before you go? No, don't. Just just have a great day. You know, yeah, we're still you know, we still have a remarkable amount of freedom and we live on a beautiful planet. And, uh, and again, if you're hanging out with the freedom fighters, you're having fun. So exactly. Well, yeah. thank Come you. Come on over. <laughs> <laughs> Please do. And as always, everybody out there question everything, come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant.